Hi, I'm Janet O'Shea, author of Risk Failure Play, and I am in conversation with Sochi Julissa Bermejo, poet and personal essayist and author of Posada, Offerings of Witness and Refuge. So, Sochi, um, I am interested in having a conversation with you um, because of some similarities I noticed in our approaches to writing. Um, and one of them has to do with memoir. Um, often we think of memoir as being tied to like an isolated individual and their search inward. But um, one of the things I've really enjoyed about your writing is the way you connect personal experience and reflections to larger phenomenon. And that's something I tried to do in Risk Failure Play as well. Um, yeah. I Well, with my work, it's mostly I've always been drawn to immigration rights and immigration stories. And I always attribute that to my parents were immigrants. I'm a child of immigrants. So growing up, um, I always knew they were immigrants. I don't know how that was first told to me, but I just know that as a small child, I always knew that my parents um, came here as children as well. And then they have very different um, stories. My father came and he was, um, he came with his papers and his whole family and he was already a teenager. Whereas my mother came as an infant and she was undocumented and didn't know until she was a teenager. So seeing them and seeing how these things hearing throughout the years, because it's not new, throughout the years with all the different immigration acts and all the different things that the, law, uh, the government has tried to uh, put into law, I saw how that affected them. And so that always was an interest to me. And then how that came into my writing was, okay, well, I care about this issue. I care about my parents, but then how can I bring this to my own experience? And so that led to me doing an action out in Arizona um, with the group No Mas Muertes, No More Deaths. Um, they're a direct aid group who puts water out on the border. They do a lot of other things, but I think it began as they were putting water out on the border in the desert land because um, dehydration is the number one way people die crossing the border and so I went and did that and then my first poetry collection became a lot like half of it is about that action and what I learned from that action and trying to reiterate that experience with uh, my audience and then also the other half of the book is my parents experience coming into this uh, country and then how that affected me as a person growing up in LA does that, that was a long <laughs> explanation. Oh, but. that's, no, that's quite, quite all right. Like, I, I think that's exactly the kind of um, question that I wanted to like dig into is like how we find these connections like to the political through writing. Cause I think sometimes like overtly political writing can be so didactic. And um, I think that's sometimes there's a place for that. It's obviously really important, but um there's also a place for literary writing, for detail, for emotion, for um, reading out um, and kind of riffing on ideas. And you know, I think that idea um, that you were talking about, that like the, the political kind of comes out of personal experience and then come, kind of comes back around and reconnects to personal experience um, is super interesting, particularly Right, like reading about your experience with no more deaths, and um, I've also read your personal essay, the topic, and then the the, the sort of um, poetic vignettes is a very interesting way to kind of bring that personal history and the kind of bring the the politicization of the border into something very immediate. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it's my number one, one of my biggest goals in writing these pieces, the essay and the the poems was empathy. I mean, that's like the thing I'm always striving for is to create a sense of empathy with the reader. So um, I don't know what it like, what was, what are, how do you, what are your thoughts on that, on empathy and creating that with these stories? Yeah, um, I think it's a really interesting point of departure for thinking about like memoir and the personal essay. Um, and then that question of empathy, because I think for me, writing um, you know, build, kind of building an argument about like cultural, a sort of, I guess, a cultural politics argument from personal experience, like the risk is that it's just become solipsistic, you know, um, and it's like, oh, this is just about my experience. Let me tell you about me. Um, and, um, you know, as somebody who is concerned with, with cultural politics, obviously, like, I didn't want to do that. So um, I guess the way of, of figuring out, like, the, the empathy is, for first of all, I think, like, immediacy of description, but also where it's not about like, oh, I did this and that makes me so heroic or that makes me so interesting. Um, and instead, this is this is my experience and this is the immediacy of it. And then it connects out to other people's experiences and other concerns. And I think, you know, you, I think you do a similar thing, um, particularly in your essay on No More Deaths, where it's about you and your experience, but then it immediately connects out to these other people that you encounter who become so alive in that in that text and it becomes populated by these other voices, even though, you know, it's it's primarily when I think when everyone is writing from a memoir standpoint, and of course there is a sort of foregrounding of the first person. Yeah, I feel like I don't know what teacher told me this, but sometime in my MFA program I remember someone speaking about personal essay memoir and saying that if like the narrator is this heroic character, then there's something has gone wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, thinking about, you know, your book, this idea of like risk and failure and like we're doing these things. I mean, I always feel like I'm in a risky situation speaking about these topics because I feel like there's always going to be somebody who says you did it wrong. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, you know, and then there's, but then also, so there's that aspect of it. Like, okay, I know that I may do this wrong, but I'm going to try. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the title of my poetry book is Offerings of Witness and Refuge. Is like, it came from, that came from a Juan Felipe Herrera quote about this is like, this is just my offering. I'm just going to try, you know? Um, but then also that the narrator has humanity and has a sense of failure also is important at least for my, for when I write these things, it's like, I want to show how human I am. And if I, if I'm acting like I know it all and look at me, then I, I failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like thinking about failure and how like the, the, the failure is, is what humanizes, I think very often in, in like memoir writing. And I think, um, you know, for me, like writing about martial arts, it was really important to me to, um, write about not so much about like oh you know look how well I did or like how tough I was but like look at how many ways in which I didn't get it right you know like yeah. that's actually the part that's that's more interesting is is the point at which we don't get it right and of course that's also the you know the subject matter and the point of analysis but I think it's also it's 
it's important because I think it, it humanizes, but then there's also a thing about humility. Um, because I'm always really disturbed by um, certain kinds of approaches to first person writing. Like it happens a lot in travel writing where somebody kind of writes this like, oh, I went off to this place, this war zone, this, um, you know, uh, place that's really underserved in some way. And like, look how tough I am for withstanding that. And, you know, it's just sort of unbearable because it's like we are so tough for putting up with something that's part of how many people live their lives. And that's an extreme example. But I think there's there's that, that sort of danger with uh, it kind of any sort of first person account being too celebratory. Yeah, I mean, I want that's one thing I tried to remember to share, because with my experience, I went out to the desert and like in the essay, uh, you know, I was out in the desert and there was all these different ways uh, that I could have been injured. But then and I'm trying to get people I want people to have like a closeness to the area, like a physical closeness to the area in the piece, because I want them to understand kind of what it's like out there. But then also it's like, I also try to remind people like, okay, I was out there, but also my level of danger was so minuscule to the people who are out there crossing for their lives or to come into this country to immigrate. Like my danger was like so small in comparison because one, I was a citizen Two, I, you know, I had no fear of being arrested. I had no, you know, I had plenty of support Yeah. anyway. But so, yeah, I just think that's like you're saying with the travel writing, I think that's really important to remember in this kind of writing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a fine balance because, of course, that, that is what's interesting about some of these um, risk-based actions is, like, they are risky. And there is, like, the risk of injury or um, there's some element of danger. But then it's really important to also recognize that, like, when the risk is freely chosen, that's a really different thing. Than yeah when it's not freely chosen and, you know, when it's conscripted and when there's an absence of alternatives as well. Yes. One of the other things I was sort of, uh, that I was struck by in reading Posada. So I have to say upfront, I, I don't really read a lot of poetry and I don't really feel like I have a solid understanding or a sort of, um, I don't really feel like I have an intuitive understanding of poetry. Um, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about Posada is, um, I guess, I don't know if it if it really counts as prose poetry, um, but as somebody who's a prose reader, it felt a little more accessible to me than some poetry. Um, and I think that might be because of the level of detail and the role that detail plays, because the details are so concrete um, in, in your book. Details were important to me as like one of, I mean, I went out and did this action and my goal going out was like, I'm going to somehow reflect back on this and bring my firsthand experience into these poems and to relate it to other people who will never see the border or the Arizona desert. Uh, so like details were really important to me. And then also, I mean, I'm not for, I'm a narrative type of poet. So anyone who's read my poems, people often are like, well, that's not a poem, that's a story. I'm like, well, it's a poem because I say it's a poem. So, <laughs> um, so they're just, they're really narrative. They often tell stories. I'm not big on high lyricism. I like sounds. I like to play with words. I mean, I think that's one thing that makes me a poet, but I'm not going to be super conceptual. I'm never going to be super conceptual. So I feel like a lot of people have told me what you, uh, you're, 
I have a similar reading of my work, like, oh, I don't really understand poetry, but I understand yours. And, <laughs> and I, I, mean, I enjoy that. I, that's what I want. You know, I don't want to be, I don't enjoy reading poetry that's super confusing and I don't want to be that type of poet. So I'm happy when people say that, but I think it's the narrative and the details that helps. Yes. I mean, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's both right. It is, it is the sense of a narrative push. Um, and then I think the details, right. Cause the, the, the section on no more deaths is amazing. We have about like how to, when you encounter a wildcat, you have to cluster together and raise your arms. Um, and then when you, there's lightning, you have to spread out and go to the ground and don't confuse them. Don't confuse the two. I mean, that sort of level of detail is, is terrific. And I think it does really do that thing of like bringing the immediacy of it. But I think also there's, I guess that that might be also a commonality. I think, um, although our, our modes of writing are very different, you know, um, in terms of like, I see risk failure play as being a kind of, um, light touch cultural theory kind of thing. Um, so it is, it is a more like by definition more extended and, poetry being what it is with the kind of brevity, um, I think there still is a similar investment in direct language and in mm -hmm. not obfuscating for its own sake. And I think that relates to a, to a politics of writing too. Yeah. I mean, I know it has to do with my politics yeah. <laughs> when I write. Uh, like I said, I want, I want it to reach more people and I don't want anyone to feel left out. I mean, I feel like, and also with your type of writing too, because it tends to be more academic, I, right? And so it's like academic writing and poetry, they're kind of tend to be not for, a, you know, at least, you know, like, they're not always seen as for a, like a wider audience. And then maybe, so I think a lot of people also feel like, oh, well, I'm not smart enough for that, which is not what I want for, not how I want people to feel when they read my book. I know that. Yes, exactly. I think that's exactly um, what, what I was thinking of, like that I care very much about nuance and about asking difficult questions and holding assumptions up to the light. And that's what I value about, you know, what's sometimes called cultural theory, I guess. Um, but I think the real problem of it is that it, it there is this risk, I think, particularly with with academic writing, but also with like high end literary writing that um, it is exclusive and right. it is almost set up, you know, intentionally or otherwise such that people read it and do feel like exactly what you said. Oh, I'm not smart enough to understand this. I mean, I feel like that when I read a lot of critical theory, when I read some very uh, high literary kind of writing where I'm just like, I have to work so hard at this and I can't understand it. And then I think, well, if I feel that way, um, and this is, you know, I, I do this for my living. Like, how, do, how does it feel to somebody who just picks up a book off a shelf? Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, that's an investment that I have as well of, like, can, can they keep kind of the, the nuance and the subtlety, but, um, you know, make sure that it is sort of reaching out to a wider readership for people who don't want to have to necessarily labor over incredibly arcane bits of prose. So what was your strategy for that? Um, well, it, it happened, you know, it's interesting. It happened somewhat organically that um, I started training in martial arts um, and about a year into the process, I just sort of started keyboarding. I was just kind of writing ideas and reflections and 
initially I thought, oh, I'll write a memoir. I'll write a martial arts memoir. And I had, you know, I had like, I, I don't know, dozens, maybe hundreds of pages. And then I thought like, well, what is, what is the memoir going to be about? And I kind of realized like, you know, martial arts memoirs either tend to be like, um, it's about the amateur who throws themselves into training, which would kind of be me. Um, and it tends to lead up to the one big fight. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. So maybe I have to do that. Maybe I have to have a sport fight. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, a little older than most people are when they do that, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm adventurous. Maybe it wouldn't hold me back. And then I also thought, like, well, would that really show me anything? Um, and then I realized I was actually more interested in training than in in competing. Um, so, so that was kind of part of it. And then I also realized, like, there's nothing that interesting about me in martial arts, really. Like, I'm not a high level competitor, but I'm also not somebody who was like super timid and it like changed my life, you know? Um, and I realized that it was actually just about the enjoyment, um, of, of training. And so I was like, okay, can I structure a memoir around that? Um, and then I started to realize like, well, why, well, why does enjoyment not feel like enough to hang a book on? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started then asking questions about like, well, what is, what is play? Like, what is fun? What is play? What does it mean? Like, why do we think about it the way we do? And then it just started opening out to all these other questions and thinking about like, what does it mean to be good at something? Why does being good at something make us feel good? Um, and then so weirdly, like, so then I found myself coming back around to like my, my home turf of academic writing, but in this way that it was like, well, I really can't imagine writing about this in a way that would obfuscate it. Um, so I think because it started out as a memoir, I mean, I've always sort of tried with academic writing to use plain language, but um, I think other other things I've written have been more kind of embedded, more sort of overtly embedded in theory. Um, whereas this, I tried to keep the theory a little bit in the background so that I was like continually using um, kind of direct ways of writing. And I think because it started out as like the memoir style writing that, that voice just sort of carried over even as it like opened out to larger, um, like cultural reflections. Mm -hmm. Well, I love it cause it's such a great metaphor for so many things, you know, um, I'm working right now on an essay that I'm planning to submit this weekend uh, at women who submit, um, which we can talk more about another time. But, um, you know, I'm working on this essay on self-worth and how writing, was the thing I thought I was going to win at. And that's why I went into it. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. I didn't feel worthy of, you know, I didn't feel, I grew up feeling not smart enough, not pretty enough, not, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is. I mean, I'm not the only person who's grown up this way. Right. And I went into writing saying, okay, this is going to be my ticket. This is what's going to make me interesting. This is what's going to make me win. And I went into this book with so much like, passion and determination and I gotta prove myself and then when the book came out which is in the essay it was just like this huge anxiety like I, I had never felt anxiety like that before because it was like the book isn't what's gonna save me you know it's just it's just a book and it can't be you know and writing isn't really like that you know I just basically I had to like learn that like what you're saying like sometimes I mean what's the point of winning and what's the real worth of it and you know, 
it was kind of this crazy. I think a lot of people probably go into first books thinking something like this, but it can't, it's not, unless you're like super famous, it doesn't really happen like that, you know? So anyway, I just, it was just interesting hearing you talk about like competition and needing to win and then what's wrong with just having fun. And then like, that was something I had to learn, relearn after my book got published that it's like, oh, hey, writing can just be writing, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting, like how it, it kind of, these things kind of keep coming around in circles where it's like, okay, I'm just doing this for the love of doing it. And then there's a goal, like, because just by virtue of the, the practice of, of doing it, like, and then that goal gets reached and then it becomes like, oh, was that goal enough? And do I have to set the goal post higher or does it, was it actually successful enough? And I, um, I, I think that's like, that is such a, such a challenge with um, writing and sport fighting and, and so many other things that like um, it can start out doing it just for the love of it. Um, and I think, you know, it's something I tried to explore in the, um, in risk failure play as well is like, thinking about other sports, like I've never played team sports, it's not something I'm into, but I think there's a similar phenomenon that happens for people who do love team sports, where it's like they just want to do it because it's fun and because they get to hang out with their friends and be part of a community, and then it starts getting layered with this, like having to win. Um, and I think for us, like, um, you know, more creatively inclined people, we kind of, we sometimes tend to think that we're outside of it, and then there are these moments like what you're talking about where you realize like, oh, wait, I'm not outside of that at all. Like, I thought I was just doing this out of love or, you know, um, and then, yeah. And all of a sudden I'm worrying about like, is the book doing well enough or is it, you know, um, have enough people responded positively to it? So, um, yeah, that anxiety kind of just keeps keeps coming back around. Like, yeah, I'm trying to figure that how to deal with that, how to push myself how to push myself into to higher goals, but then also how to deal with the anxiety that comes with that. It's kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like that kind of like the, the, the kind of flow state thing about like being um, in between boredom and anxiety, you know, and trying to find that middle ground where it's like, no, that's where that's where I'm in the state of staying focused. So yeah, it's a very interesting kind of set of questions of where where, where one finds self-worth as a writer. Cause I have a feeling that even like you're saying, even if somebody's super successful and I'm sure that that must be, you know, an amazing thing to have like a, a book come out and it, um, it does extraordinarily well, but it seems like in some ways success, like the pursuit of success is a little bit like the pursuit of money where it's like never going to be enough. Right. And, and I don't think, I think it's probably, I think it's a double edged sword, no matter how far up you go. <laughs> like, I'm sure the most successful people still are dealing with their own self-doubt. They have to be. Right. Like it, doesn't, right. it doesn't go away. So what really are we pursuing? I don't know. <laughs> right, right, for sure. Like I think about when things have worked out in my life exactly the way I wanted and the way, you know, that then often there's like that sort of like the, you know, the, the much talked about imposter syndrome or the sort right. of fear of failure. So yeah, um, I think that's that's always part of, part of the process. And I think particularly it seems like with, with writing, I guess, because it's putting oneself on the line and kind of bearing, you know, uh, bearing one's thoughts and putting them down on paper and saying like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to assume that people are interested in what I have to say. And even more so for memoir and personal essays. I mean, I always say that 
when I the the essay that you referred to that's uh, an essay about being out in the desert that was so much harder to deal with being published than the book or in a different way because I felt like poems already people are like oh I don't really understand poems so I already know that most of the people I know are half reading him like maybe you read it maybe you didn't maybe you tried to read it whereas like an essay is like here is it clearly I'm clearly putting this out for you, sentence by sentence, all of my ugliness, here you go. Um, and it's just like crazy. And it's like, why would anyone want to know this about me, you know? <laughs> right, I think, and it, that, yeah, exactly. That is that is exactly what is um, so nerve wracking about it, is to just say like, yeah, I am actually, and there's also like no, just like there's no sort of hiding behind the lyricism of the and the ambiguity and the kind of uh symbolism like with the right i mean with a poem you kind of pretend if somebody was like is that about something i could say i don't know is it you know i I can (laughs) pretend that maybe it's not what you think it is you know i don't have to tell you but in an essay in a personal essay it's very much this is me this is what happened you know (laughs) right yeah yeah exactly exactly and the, the whole nature of a of a personal essay is like, this is true. I'm not adopting the voice of a character. I'm not, this isn't just a narrator. Like this really is me. And so, right. There is that element of like, yeah, I'm just going to assume that I'm going to put this out there and people will be interested and it won't be too embarrassing for people to read about my failures. And, you know, it's a, it's a very different kind of, um, you know, risk, I guess, than than Mm -hmm. other kinds of writing. Mm-hmm. So with your project, I mean, in the beginning, it was you're, you're going out and you, you find that you enjoy martial arts and you enjoy the practice of it. And then what happened? Because I didn't, I haven't had a chance to finish it. So oh. <laughs> what, right. you yeah. know, where does that, because you're saying, yeah, is it, um, did you find it was like a flow, you know, um, what is that called? A chart. What is it? What are those charts called that are like a flow chart? Like a did flow it go chart. Back and part, go back and forth between enjoying the practice of it and wanting to be more competitive. Um, what it, what it ended up going so that, yeah, I mean like, where does it end if it doesn't, if it doesn't build up to the fight, like where does it end? So, um, what I ended up. You can't up give being, it away, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, can, I, I think I can, you know, spoiler alert, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So that, I mean, that was a big question of like, okay, so if I'm not going to compete, like, why am I doing this? And like, as you know, that's what the, where the book opens. It's like somebody saying, why do you do this? And like me right. being like, I don't know. Um, but what it, what it does end up with is um, self-defense training and deciding to uh, pursue um, an instructorship in, in um, empowerment, self-defense. And that, that kind of does two things. Um, did kind of did two things for me. Um, one is that there was this question of, okay, well, well, on a practical level, why am I doing this? And and that this was a way of saying like, okay, well, maybe this is a way of giving back. Like in a way, all of this, I can look at like all these values that, that attach to martial arts training and all these benefits, but really they're benefits for me. And they might make me a, like a calmer person and a more empathetic person, but it's still kind of personal. So where does it go? And, um, and it's like, okay, well, in, if I teach empowerment, self-defense, I can kind of share some of this with other people, with a larger community and start to, um, you know, move towards a uh, greater justice in, in the world. 
Um, and then the other part of it is that it kind of um, self-defense allows me to think differently about um, things like play and mastery and vulnerability um, and also the relationship to work because self-defense often feels like work to people mm -hmm. um, because it feels like it's an obligation, like I shouldn't have to learn to defend myself kind of idea. Um, and what empowerment self-defense does is um, take self-defense and build it around play and bring in like games and drills into the training so that instead of it being about obligation, it becomes about something that you can experience and enjoy for its own sake. Mm -hmm. So it kind of does come around to, to a something, you know, to like, uh, you know, this is where it's going. It just doesn't go in the direction of, of competition, which is kind of nice actually that I like that it ended up, you know, that my personal journey ended up someplace other than competition and I think it's kind of a nice way for the for the book, a nice direction for the book to go to, that it opens out to a broader community instead of it being this like heroic thing, standoff of me with another person and, you know, do I win or do I not? I can't help but not think of um, Karate Kid every time you mention the big fight. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love, as a child, I loved that movie so much that I broke the VHS tape, like rewinding it so much the VHS tape snapped and it was the saddest day. <laughs> so <laughs> every time I think about the big yeah. fight, I just think of Karate Kid. But yes, <laughs> yes. But no, that is, that's, a, that's the classic paradigm, right? Is yeah. like the, the nerdy kid, he doesn't fit in. And then like he vindicates himself by training for the big fight and all the odds are against him, but then he wins, you know? Uh, so it's like a classic kind of, it's a classic arc of like the martial art movie or the martial art memoir. So, um, yeah. And I'm with you in terms of loving Karate Kid. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, this is, you wrote a really fantastic piece about um, self-defense for the Women Who Submit uh, website. And hearing you talk about where it came to, it just reminds me of Women Who Submit, which is where we met. And um, for those who don't know, Women Who Submit is a an, a literary organization that was birthed out of the idea it's an action for gender parity in literary publishing. Um, it came from the Vita Count, Vita Women in Literary Arts, is an organization that started counting all the men who were published in top tier journals and opposed to how many women were being published in top tier journals. And of course, there was a huge uh, discrepancy. Or dis what's the correct word? Uh, I think discrepancy. Inequality. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. With that, the um, my friend, two of my friends and I co-founded Women Who Submit, and our goal was to make it fun in a way, like make submitting fun. So when you submit to journals, it can be a chore, it can be difficult. So it was a way to like come together, make it celebratory, make it a party, and um, yeah. So it just kind of reminded me when you were talking about um, empowerment, self-defense, how it's very it reminds me of women who submit and how that started with this idea of like, we don't want it to be a chore. We don't want people to feel we want to empower them to do this work and help them get their work out. So more women will be published in these journals. Um, yeah. So yes. Yeah. That's, that's super, that's a super interesting connection actually. Cause I'm, that's one of the things about the women who submit like that, 
their publication parties um, rather than it being like, okay, I have to like, I have to submit like to these journals. And I think you're, you're right that it does feel like work. Um, and in fact, alongside the Vita count, weren't there these like studies about resubmissions as well? Like if men get rejected and then it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, we didn't like this. We're not going to retake this story, but we like this, this and this about it. Like men would revise and resubmit. Um, and, and statistically women are far less likely to do that. Yeah, it was, from what I understand, it was the original people in Vita were asking editors, when they got the numbers back, they would ask editors, well, why are not your numbers like this? And one of the common answers was that women don't submit and definitely don't resubmit as aggressively as men. And then there was also an article that came out, um, oh, what's her name, Karen? I have to look up her name, but she, she wrote a piece called Submit Like a Man. And it was also about how women, when we get um, a personal rejection, often we're like, well, that's nice. I guess I'll try again one day or something. But um, when a man gets a personal rejection, they're much more likely to send something right away um, without even thinking about it. Now, again, these are all like gender, like assumption, gender norms. So I don't know. You can take it with a grain of salt, but that's what people have said over the last few years that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is interesting in relation to thinking about things like um, self-worth and work and obligation. So, I mean, there is something about like certain kinds of inequality, like one of the modes for addressing it can be like turning work into play in some situations. Right. Um, I like that. Yeah. Is there something? Then, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just think when you growing up, the, I mean, it's still true that, you know, girls are trained into common society differently than men. And I always feel that I, and this is in my, the essay that I'm working on now that like, you know, you have to like earn somebody's attention, you have to earn that worth. And so like, for me, that was writing this, my first book poetry collection. Whereas I don't know if, if a lot of young men are taught that I think they're just taught like, Oh, well, you're good the way you are, you know, or you're, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it is a super interesting kind of set of questions about right who who feels ready to like step up and and claim space. Um right. and I think that's a really great thing about projects like women who submit. So I'm just you know, I feel like we could keep talking like this for ages, but I'm realizing we're kind of up to about half an hour. So I think we should probably conclude. Um, I'm glad you mentioned women who submit because I think that's a really fantastic project. I've enjoyed being part of it. Um, and I think it's great for people to know about. And I'm really glad to hear that you have a new essay coming out or a new essay in the works as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm nervous about it because it's personal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I think that's a big insight. Conversation. <laughs> There's a definite level of risk. Um, with writing from the personal experience. Um, so thank you for, for this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, I really think this topic is the risk-failure play. I mean, I think it's just such a interesting topic. And I have not, I have not yet done any kind of martial arts training, but it did get me starting to think like, maybe I could go to a kickboxing class. Maybe I could. <laughs> so I appreciate that. <laughs> that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Cause that's part of my 
uh, agenda in writing the book is to just encourage people into play spaces that they might not feel comfortable in otherwise. So I'm glad to hear that. And it's good to have strong, healthy bodies. That's my goal. Indeed. Yes. So thank you. Yes. Thank you.